We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 345 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. And where in the world is Dan Snyder's super yacht? That is the question. Where in the world is Dan's super yacht? Remember, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Where in the world is Dan Snyder's super yacht? That is the question for this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, because we on Monday had the latest chapter in Dan Snyder versus Congress. Uh, We last Wednesday at the congressional hearing on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal learned that Congress would be subpoenaing Dan for a deposition this week. Well, it would seem that Dan right now is dodging and bobbing and weaving and doing all that he can to avoid that subpoena. And principle among the avoidance tactics is him remaining out of the country, at least we think. Uh, we know that he was in Cannes, France last week, meaning that, gosh darn it, he couldn't testify at that hearing. Well, we on Monday afternoon had word that Dan Superyacht was on the move. Uh, do you know that there is a Twitter account dedicated to the travels of Dan Superyacht? This is great. At Dan Snyder's Yacht. This is a thing. At Dan Snyder's Yacht. The name of the Twitter account is Dan Snyder Yacht Tracker. (laughs) And the account uses public data from VesselFinder.com to track the travels of Dan Snyder's super yacht. And the account on Monday afternoon put out the following tweet with a supporting graphic. Quote, Dan Snyder's yacht is on the move, currently traveling at 12.1 knots, the speed at which to dodge depositions to Char France, like to let Dan Snyder know you are tracking his yacht, end quote. So there you go, Dan Snyder's super yacht from Cannes, France to Char France, where the super yacht will stop, who knows? All I want to know is, does Dan listen to the song Sailing? when he is sailing on his super yacht. He's got to listen to that song, right? You know the song, Sailing, by Christopher Cross, one of the most peaceful and relaxing songs of all time. 
Here you go. That is such a beautiful song. How many times have you heard that song in a dentist chair over the years? I want to know if Dan Snyder on his super yacht listens to Sailing by Christopher Cross. How could Dan on his super yacht while trying to evade a subpoena not listen to Sailing by Christopher Cross? Well, I do know this. There's a lot to take in with what's happening with this subpoena. And so next segment, I will welcome on a longtime Maryland attorney known as Neil in Rockville. Uh, he's a longtime listener. He has requested anonymity, and I have obliged, but he knows his stuff. And so he will bring clarity and expertise to what's going on here. Uh, we will conduct a proper deep dive on Dan Snyder's battle with Congress, the subpoena, what Dan's strategy truly is, what Congress's strategy truly is, and why ultimately we may well be looking at Dan coming out of all of this as owner of the Commanders. Trust me, you will have a much better understanding of all that is going on by listening to what Neil has to say. He'll be with us next segment. Also on the show, the Nationals and the Orioles. Always know that we on this podcast actually talk baseball, and right now baseball is going well in the Washington, D.C. area. Both the Nats and the O's are doing well. Uh, the Nats on Monday night won for a fifth time in seven games, a 3-2 come-from-behind win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park. Michael Franco, a two-out first pitch, two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth for a 3-2 Nats lead. Uh, the O's late night on Monday night won for an 11th time in 16 games, a 9-2 win at the Seattle Mariners, the O's smashed five home runs, got another good start from Tyler Wells. There are things to like with both the Nats and the O's right now. I will pay proper homage to those things later in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Mike P on a certain former Washington defensive player who did not like being called a linebacker. Writes, Mike, have you heard anything about Landon Collins? I feel he is a key piece to how the commanders want to run their defense. To have him and Cameron Curl rotate depending on coverage is ideal. And I think we found what's best for Collins and his style of play. Is there any indication that he returns. Uh, thank you for the email, Mike. Good question. You know, there seemed to be some building momentum for the commanders to bring Landon Collins back, but uh, it now appears that that momentum may not have been very real. The commanders released Landon on March 16th, designated him as a post-June 1st cut. That he remains a free agent is telling. Uh, that Landon has yet to sign with an NFL team since being released by the commanders is telling. Uh, you know, we're now in late June. Uh, personally, I would not be against the commanders bringing Landon back as an option to play the Buffalo nickel, but just going off of what Ron Rivera and Jack Doria have said, it does sound like Percy Butler and Derek Forrest are viable options 
for the Buffalo Nickel. You know, Landon played well as a Buffalo Nickel last season, but it's not like he played at an all-pro level. I think at times, the level at which Landon played at the Buffalo Nickel spot last season does get overstated. And if Percy Butler is what the commanders think that he could be, it's not unreasonable to think that Butler could be a close enough approximation to what Landon was, if not as good or even better than Landon was and at a much cheaper price. There's also this. Landon Collins is a prideful guy. Remember, he did not like being called a linebacker last season. He was very sensitive about that. He wanted to be known as a safety, even though he essentially was playing linebacker. I wonder if he would be willing to come back to the commanders of the team, having twice asked him to take a pay cut and then having released him. Now, personally, to me, if you're Landon Collins and you have to choose between not playing in the NFL versus coming back to the commanders, you swallow your pride and you come back to the commanders. But I don't know if uh, that is how he is thinking. Uh, Email from David Newcomb on Dan Snyder, the commanders, and Congress. Writes David, I've been following the Dan Snyder saga. That sounds like a one-hit wonder. Second-rate rock group touring the college circuit, but Dan's not even that good. Uh, via your podcast and other media outlets, but also listening to some podcasts about the 50th anniversary of Watergate. I almost stopped in my tracks walking the dogs listening to your podcast because Dan Snyder's strategy for dealing with the sexual harassment scandal is almost word for word how a podcast described Richard Nixon's strategy for dealing with Watergate. Appear outwardly cooperative with the investigation, but work furiously behind the scenes to do everything to block, thwart, and undermine that very same investigation, intimidating witnesses, covering up evidence, and firing underlings as necessary. As the old sayings go, follow the money, $1.6 million settlement, ticket revenue, etc., and it ain't the crime, it's the cover-up. Some things in Washington just don't change. By the way, I also want to share with you that some of your analysis of what goes on on the field has worked out well off the field as well. I have a woman friend at work, strictly platonic, who shares with me her dating travails. She's divorced. Her previous boyfriend seemed outwardly great in many respects, but some of the things she shared with me gave me pause, and he ran hot and cold and back again about how much he wanted to commit to her. One day I said to her, paraphrasing you, he sounds like Taylor Heineke. He has periods where he's truly great and exciting, but then there are times in which he is not bad, but definitely disappointing, and you wonder where all of this is going. I think just like with Taylor, you want someone who plays with a little more consistency in your backfield. You could see the light bulb going off in her eyes, and she has since moved on to a happier relationship. (laughs) Well, thank you for the email, David. I have to say, that is one of the more unique emails that I have ever received. The Commanders, Dan Snyder, Watergate, Richard Nixon, Taylor Heineke, and dating advice, all in the same email. Uh, Dan Snyder's strategy with Congress, to me, has been simple, and we'll get to this coming up next segment. Uh, The strategy, in fact, is a rhyming key. Deny and delay and hope that it all goes away. And you know what? The strategy just may end up working out. We shall see. But Dan continues to deny wrongdoing specific to him. Dan continues to delay appearing before Congress. We'll see what happens with the subpoena, but you can bet your bottom dollar that Dan is going to try to delay having to do anything off the subpoena. And Dan most certainly is hoping that all of this will go away. And that could happen if the Republicans flip the House of Representatives 
come the midterm elections in November. Deny and delay and hope that it all goes away. That strategy just may end up working out for Dan Snyder. And I'm glad that my uh, Taylor Heineke analysis-inspired dating advice that you gave to your friend, Dave, ended up working out. You see, who says that Taylor Heineke, who says that Tay-Tay can't get the job done and in a variety of areas? Up next, our special guest, longtime Maryland attorney Neil in Rockville for much more on the latest on Dan Snyder and Congress. Well, eating healthy, it's something that we would all like to do, but it's not something that's always easy, enjoyable, and affordable to do. This is where Factor comes in. Factor is a meal delivery plan that provides you with healthy, delicious, and affordable food, and you right now can save $120 on Factor meals just by being a listener of this podcast. Whether you're trying to get or stay lean, or you're trying to put on muscle, Factor gets the job done and saves you hours per week in that you don't have to worry about food shopping, cooking, or doing dishes. Factor provides you with prepared meals that are fresh, never frozen. Uh, We're talking food from animals that are grass-fed and pasture-raised, food that is antibiotic, hormone, and preservative-free. Factor meals are put together by registered dietitians and expert chefs who work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. The meals are delicious. You'll have a hard time believing that they're actually good for you. And Factor offers 30 meals per week. You can choose from a variety of new meals every week, so you'll never get bored. Uh, Like many of you, I try to eat healthy. I go to the gym. I eat Factor meals. They're terrific. And you can't beat the convenience. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. You can't beat this. So here's a special offer. Visit Go. Dot factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Yeah, you heard that right. $120 off. Who couldn't use an extra $120 right now with gas prices and inflation? That's go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Give Factor a try. Eat well. Save yourself time and money. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi 120 to get $120 off. You got to try Factor because fitness starts with food. Well, the saga between Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder and Congress continued on Monday. So it was last Wednesday during the congressional hearing on the Commander's workplace misconduct scandal that Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, announced her intent to issue a subpoena of Dan Snyder for a deposition the following week, as in this week. Uh, Dan, of course, did not attend last Wednesday's hearing, despite multiple requests from Congress to do so. Well, WUSA 9 on Monday morning broke the news that Dan would be unable to attend the deposition this week. Gosh darn it, I'm busy that day. (laughs) Said a source close to Dan to WUSA 9, quote, Dan and his lawyer are unavailable on the date provided by the committee for the deposition. For that reason, and because many of the due process concerns have yet to be addressed, Dan's lawyer could not accept service, end quote. Then on Monday afternoon, a spokesperson for the House Committee on Oversight and Reform issued the following statement, quote, Mr. Snyder has so far refused to accept service of the committee's subpoena. 
While the committee has been and remains willing to consider reasonable accommodations requested by witnesses, we will not tolerate attempts to evade service of a duly authorized subpoena or seek special treatment not afforded to other witnesses who testified in this matter. The committee will not be deterred from obtaining Mr. Snyder's testimony, and we remain committed to ensuring transparency about the toxic workplace culture at the Washington Commanders and the NFL's inadequate response. End quote. Then on Monday evening, a spokesperson for Dan Snyder issued the following statement, quote, Mr. Snyder has not refused to appear for a deposition. The committee offered only one date, June 30th, and Mr. Snyder's attorney is out of the country and unavailable on that date. Mr. Snyder's lawyer has provided alternative dates to the committee and looks forward to finding a path forward for Mr. Snyder's further cooperation and to address remaining due process concerns. End quote. So... What now for Dan Snyder and Congress? And how about Dan? How about Danny Boy trying to evade this subpoena? I'm pleased to welcome on a special guest. He goes by the moniker Neil in Rockville. He's a longtime Maryland attorney. He's a longtime listener. He has attained quite the following on Twitter. You can follow Neil on Twitter at Neil. That's N-E-I-L. Then the letter N. Then Rockville. At Neil N. Rockville. Neil, my friend, how are you? I am doing well. It's a great honor to be with you. (laughs) Well, it's very nice to have you on. I take it that you were not surprised by the events of Monday in the Dan Snyder versus Congress situation. No, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, he was given the opportunity to, of course, accept the invitation to appear at the hearing, um, which, as everybody knows, he he did not appear, but a chair and a bottle of water, I guess, appeared on his behalf. Um, but then as the uh, chairwoman Maloney stated that she was going to be issuing a subpoena for a deposition um, seemingly in the near future, and it seems that at this point in time she has taken those steps and issued a subpoena for a deposition, which is different than issuing a subpoena for an actual hearing like the one that was held in which Roger Goodell testified last week. I think that most people understand the difference between a hearing and a deposition. Are there differences between a subpoena for a hearing and a subpoena for a deposition? Um, usually, they're not that different. They are subpoenas for a specific date and time. So it's not a subpoena that can be issued like you are hereby subpoenaed to appear before Congress or you are here subpoenaed, hereby subpoenaed to uh, appear for a deposition. It, you actually have to provide a date, time, and location of the either hearing or the deposition. So they're, they're pretty, um, pretty much similar. One is more of a private situation and the deposition is more the deposition is more of a private situation, the hearing would be more of an open and public situation. One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the podcast was to get into the mechanics of issuing a subpoena. It has been confusing regarding what exactly has to transpire when a subpoena is issued. Does the person being subpoenaed have to actually physically receive the subpoena? Well, technically... There needs to be 
actual physical handing over of a subpoena. Um, as many people, you know, it's often done in civil matters. It's done by sometimes a process server. Sometimes it can be done through the mail. If you have certified mail, depending on um, what different states say, sometimes uh, even in civil cases, sometimes uh, a marshal can be used if it's related to a governmental um, dealings with. But you really do need to be physically served with the subpoena unless you go through this long and complicated process of alternative service, but that can take long periods of time. In this case, and in most cases, if you're in litigation and you have an attorney and, and, and sort of you don't want to be bothered by someone knocking on your door or coming to your office and handing you a subpoena that you know you're going to accept and participate in because you you've set the date because oftentimes your attorney and the opposing attorney the one who wants to take your deposition will actually coordinate the date and the time it's usually not the situation where one side at least in when it's in a court related subpoena will just set a subpoena uh, or set a date via subpoena for a deposition and not try and coordinate because you have to be able to have your attorney available you have to be available and it just becomes a mess if you try and do it backwards so oftentimes a date's already been set a time's been set a location has been set and the actual service can be done through the attorney the attorney can say We've picked all these dates. I will accept service on behalf as the representative of my client. In this situation, though, as what has been reported, according to the attorney, Dan has not authorized service of the subpoena. Um, and therefore, she cannot accept it on his behalf because if you accept the subpoena on your client's behalf, then your client is bound to the conditions of the subpoena. And if you don't appear for the deposition, then there are steps that you could be held in contempt of the subpoena. So unless everything has been worked out ahead of time, uh, most, if not all, attorneys would not accept such a subpoena on behalf of their client because then if something went wrong, in some ways the attorney might be liable to the client and or if they if there's a claim later on that says well the attorney actually did hand the subpoena to the the client then you might have to have a testimony between your attorney and the client and and that's just a mess so yes it can be done but no it has not been authorized in this case with Dan the game of cat and mouse that is going on between Congress and Dan Snyder is so interesting to me. I mean, with this workplace misconduct scandal, we, of course, have the morality of the situation. We have the football implications of the situation, i.e. what could happen to Dan as owner of the commanders. And we have the strategy of the situation, how each side is playing this. Dan last week was in France. He may well still be in France. There pretty clearly is a strategy to him not being in the United States, that strategy being to avoid a subpoena. If you're Congress and Dan is still in France and his lawyer isn't accepting service, what recourse do you have in trying to issue this subpoena for Dan? Now, the congressional subpoenas are a little bit different than court subpoenas. I mean, you can attempt to 
you can attempt a different type of service, but it, it's it's quite difficult. I mean, in some ways, they might have to just wait until he comes back, um, you know, to the United States to serve him with the subpoena. In some ways, it's also different than it, people sometimes confuse subpoenas with warrants. So you can, if someone has an arrest warrant out there, that's basically saying that if at any point in time you come across this person, you can take them into custody and process them and the like. And the Coast Guard, if the people are in international, you know, in waters near the United States, or, or you can even try and get a, an arrest warrant served in another country, but it takes a process of filing it in that other country and then having their um, judicial process serve it on the person. But a con- U.S. congressional subpoena, it, it would be very, very difficult to attempt to serve him, you know, outside of the confines of the United States. And really, if you if you keep moving and you, they can't find you um, or they can't find you to serve you, they, I mean, there are ways to avoid service of a, of a subpoena for a deposition that could take a long time. But come the fall, you know, he's going to be back in the United States um, and they can serve him there and try and take his deposition at some other point in time. Or potentially there could be an agreement made between uh, Dan and his attorneys and Congress um, to come to an agreement as to when and where a, a deposition might be taken. But also, and this was one of the issues discussed with regard to his appearance at the hearing, but also attempt to sort of limit the scope of the deposition. Yeah. Because, um, you know, one of the specific reasons why he didn't appear was just Congress could have a vast scope of questions that they might want to ask him that, you know, he a might not be prepared for, or B, you know, might be well outside the, you know, what their limits and boundaries are of inquiry, which are supposed to be related to working on legislation related to sexual harassment in the workplace or NDAs or the like. So there might be a lot of negotiations, um, as we have seen in the one uh, January 6th hearings, even individuals who a lot of people didn't think would appear ultimately did appear for depositions, um, but they were also done under conditions where um, probably a lot of back and forth went on about limiting the scope and when and where and the like. So maybe he does appear for a deposition, but it's not going to be anytime soon because it's very unlikely they're going to be able to get him served. Um, And then if he doesn't go in with an agreement, once he is served, then they are going to go into court and they're going to try and quash the subpoena. Um, And they'll start that with the, United States District Court, someone will win, someone will lose. The loser will take an appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. That'll likely take a couple months, even even possibly a year, and then whoever wins or loses might try and take uh, an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. So there are ways to sort of really slow the process, and that's all under the understanding that if in fact the Republicans were to take over Congress this coming November, 
um, more likely than not, the inquiry of that subcommittee um, will be closed as it's regarding Dan Snyder. All right. Much more of the legal expertise of Neil in Rockville, longtime Maryland attorney on Dan Snyder, the commanders in Congress in moments. But when it comes to legal expertise, no law firm offers better legal expertise than Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C. based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what's best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured, McDonald versus City Hospital, a $1.75 million verdict in a medical malpractice case. Bell versus Anova Health Systems, a $3 million verdict for paralysis due to failure to diagnose a medical condition. Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wrong, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sends you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sends you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Back now to Neil in Rockville, longtime Maryland attorney on Dan Snyder, the commanders and Congress. So, Neil, I have described Dan Snyder's strategy with congressional involvement in the workplace misconduct scandal as deny and delay and hope that it all goes away. And it sure sounds like Dan just might be able to kill the penalty on this and just keep delaying having to do anything of true consequence. And then if, in fact, the House of Representatives flips to the Republicans come the midterm elections in November, then Dan's in the clear. I mean, this strategy of just delay does seem to be viable. Uh, I mean, not only is it a viable strategy, but um, to prevent him from going forward, you know, as we've learned recently over the weekend, there are other teams that, you know, are coming under very, very similar scrutiny for workplace behavior. We have new, we have the allegations for the Dallas Cowboys. We have new allegations with regard to the Raiders. There is the whole, you know, mess up there in Cleveland regarding, you know, the quarterback situation um, and them making the deal and and what the uh, NFL is going to do. So, you know, it what's going on with Dan might now no longer be just one owner. It might be one of four owners or who knows, one of six owners. And that's why I've always said, you know, one of the reasons why these owners there, but for the grace of God go I, you know, some of the dirt's starting to bubble up, not to mention the whole issues having to do with um, the treatment of African-American coaches and, and that the Flores lawsuit. So, you know, there's a lot out there that, you know, the NFL is going to have to tackle over the next, you know, 
six to nine months and that maybe Dan, as bad as the situation is, sort of moves to the bottom. Plus, you got the whole Gruden lawsuit that's going to be working its way through the court system. And that, in fact, more likely than not, is going to turn back in a lot of ways to Snyder and Allen and the emails and where did they come from, who leaked what, because we'll probably get a better picture once discovery and depositions are taken in that case, because I contend that it's much more likely that you're going to get a deposition of Dan Snyder in the Gruden case if they move to depositions a lot faster than you're probably going to get a deposition of Snyder by Congress. That's interesting, and that does make sense. We also have the Mary Jo White investigation into the allegations of former Redskins employee Tiffany Johnston against Dan Snyder and into the financial scandal. So there are so many things that still could pop up when it comes to Dan Snyder and the commanders. So regarding the congressional hearing last Wednesday on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. We know that there is this partisan divide on congressional involvement with the commanders. House Democrats are for the involvement. House Republicans are against the involvement. You, by your own admission, are a Democrat, but you, like another lawyer who is a Democrat who I had on this podcast recently, Howard Gutman, the former United States ambassador to Belgium, have seen through this congressional involvement with the commanders. You last Wednesday tweeted, quote, a congressional subpoena isn't a tool for accountability. Holding citizens accountable is the purview of the judicial branch. A subpoena should be used to assist in fact-finding to promote legislation, not as a hammer to punish or embarrass any citizen. As a Dem, it is saddening that after Maloney has already made her conclusions, issued a report and proposed legislation, that she still feels the need to use the awesome power of Congress to attempt to further this political charade. And for what? End quote. I wonder if you could expound on that, because I think that a lot of people are in your boat of, yeah, Dan Snyder is really bad and maybe slash probably deserves whatever happens to him. But what Congress is doing here with the commanders isn't what Congress is for. Sure. I mean, I've contended that this is much more of a political circus than a real search for not even search for truth because what happened with Dan Snyder and the commanders um, and the Redskins before them is it's sort of a small case scenario when the bigger picture should be Congress looking at the mistreatment of women in the workplace, whether it's not just the commanders, not just the NFL, not just sports, but sort of all over as well as the use of, uh, non-disclosure agreements in the settlement of uh, sexual harassment cases and why that might need to be looked at much more closely. And But instead, even in the words of like Maloney, it's like their purpose is seemingly to hold Dan Snyder accountable. Well, that's not the purpose or purview of the congressional branch of government. It's if there's someone to be held accountable, it's either civilly or criminally, and that's the, that's through the judiciary. Um, and that Congress just seems to be focused on Dan, and they've wasted seemingly great opportunities to even at the hearing to have brought in maybe you know you brought you bring in Roger, you bring in you know the MLB, um, someone from MLB some other people from other industries. I mean, the high tech industry out in Silicon Valley is, you know, well known and 
to have issues with sexual harassment of women in the workplace and NDAs. So they're not sort of focusing on trying to really address the big picture. All they really want to care about is, you know, what happened to Dan? Why wasn't there a report, you know, written? And they should be focusing on the broader picture. And in fact, Maloney, in some ways, as as I've also contended, is she's sort of already, what's the purpose of Dan even being deposed? Because she wrote the 29-page report. She's already made her decisions and made her findings based on the evidence and testimony that they already have, that they took depositions on. And she's already put forward legislation related to these matters. So what happened with Dan Snyder and the commanders as it related to the past in some way doesn't move forward or it, it doesn't really do anything with regard to what should be the focus of Congress is passing laws to protect women and others in the workplace. And they just, all they do is put on a show. They put the chair with a little bottle of water yeah. sitting there and, you know, they make it, they make it truly a, a circus. So what ultimately is this all about? Why ultimately are House Democrats going after Dan Snyder? And I'm not trying to set up Dan to be a sympathetic figure, but given everything that you just outlined, why truly are House Democrats doing what they are doing with the commanders? I'm not. I think it I think it started off with good intentions because they wanted to, you know, here was a horrible situation. Um, women were obviously, you know, subject to a horrible environment. NDAs were probably used at times when, you know, it, it, maybe they shouldn't have been, but the focus just became, you know, on Dan, 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 instead of looking at some of these other situations. I mean, you do have a number of people on that committee because in reality, that committee is supposed to be looking at like governmental action and governmental corruption and and, and issues having to do with the government. And many of the representatives on that subcommittee are actually representatives from the D.C. area. Uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton is there. Connolly is there. Jamie Raskin is there. There are a lot of local representatives there because, you know, the as we all know who live here, um, you know, the business of government is, you know, very big within, you know, the DMV area. So, uh, you know, Conley has issues having to do with, with uh, Dan Snyder. Um, a lot of it also has been, you know, particularly with him, that reaches back to the days of the of the Redskins name and the issues that a lot of people had at that point in time. So, you know, and Dan is a great punching bag. I mean, if you're going to want to score some points on somebody who is seen in throughout the entire community as someone who is a horrible business person, who's seemingly horrible to his employees, who really doesn't have anyone standing up, you know, fighting back on his behalf. You know, he's a great, you know, poster boy for, you know, quote, everything wrong with, you know, the NFL and, and the and you know the misogyny and the mistreatment of women in the workplace. So he's an easy target, and if you're running for Congress, it doesn't hurt to have you know a target like that. And so you know, I think that might have something to do with it. But 
you know, it's not getting them anywhere. It, it does seem as some of a couple of the Republicans sort of pointed out, it's like there are some other issues that they could really focus on, even re- regarding the treatment of women in the workplace and the use of overuse of NDAs um, and the like. I think they, uh, I think they've lost their opportunity. Though, in the end, it, it definitely has, at least for you know, individuals like Conley, you know, really put the notion of the stadium coming to Virginia and taxpayers assisting Dan, you know, in getting the new stadium, it really has made that quite difficult for him. And like most people who really look at this even objectively, everyone thinks the team would be better off as a team if there was another owner there. And so, you know, if you can have another owner now, yeah, you'd hope that the next owner would be better, though you can't guarantee it. But you know, if and that's sort of pushing that notion forward even more. But legally, with what Congress is doing, I don't think they're going to be pushing the other owners forward. I mean, the, if, depending on what the Mary Jo White um, investigation comes forward with, it doesn't sound like their referrals to the uh, attorney generals of Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. are anything seems to be happening with the refund of the seat assessments um, and the whole notion with regard to the uh, create potential creative accounting with regards to monies back to the league and or the union. That doesn't seem to be going very far. You really haven't heard that. You know, that could be because A, there was nothing even close to that type of action being taken place, or B, you know, every team does it in their own sort of way, and so, you know, they consider it a wash, you know, in the end for all the owners. Yeah, it has been an insane last two years with our football team for so many reasons. We have seen Dan Snyder survive it all and, in fact, become more powerful in that he bought out his three now former minority owners with the team. I guess the wild card does remain this Mary Jo White investigation and Lisa Banks, the attorney for a number of former Redskins employees in the workplace misconduct scandal, was on 106.7 The Fan on Sunday morning and said that she believes that the Mary Jo White investigation will be completed within a matter of weeks as opposed to months. So, We could have resolution on the Mary Jo White investigation coming, and that is something that could change the direction of all of this. And and, and the one other thing is, I would say, you know, he's, you know, he says he would never sell the team and he would never be, you know, want to sell the team. But he also said he would never change the name. Yeah. And that, you know, for me as a, as a Redskins fan, you know, in some ways that, that's been the bigger factor in the most recent years than a lot of the other stuff with regard to just my feelings towards the team. So, you know, if he could stand up in there and say, I will never, ever change the name. He also says, I will never, ever sell. Who knows? He, he you know, the, the offer could be out there that, you know, it's an, as they say, you know, it's an offer you're, you, you can't refuse. Yeah. I mean, Dan Snyder did get forced into changing the name from Redskins. You would think that he would have to be forced to sell the Commanders, but who knows? Maybe at some point that does happen. You never say never. Exactly. 
Neilan Rockville, longtime Maryland attorney, fan of the team we now call the Commanders. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Al, it was a pleasure, and please, um, I'm available if you ever need me. I know you have that other Neil, that law professor, but, you know, if you ever need the down and dirty, uh, give me a call. There is always room for more than one Neil on this podcast. Thanks again, man. Take care. All right, up next, I'm talking Nationals. Uh, They, on Monday night, won again a fifth win in seven games, and this win was a comeback win. Uh, This was a win also that featured more good pitching for the Nats. So we'll get to all of that more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, believe it or not, the Nationals now have won five of their last seven games. Uh, Yes, our rebuilding, not so good. 2022 Nats have won five of seven. Uh, Monday night, a 3-2 come-from-behind win over the Pittsburgh Pirates in Nationals Park in Game 1 of a three-game series. The Nats overcame a 2-1 eighth inning deficit. Uh, They improved to 28-48 in the 2022 regular season. Uh, Still our last in the National League East, still have the second worst record in the National League, still have the worst run differential in the National League, but the Nats have won five of seven. And so Nats manager, Davey Martinez, is proud of the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, proud of the boys. Five wins in seven games. And how about what was the game-winning hit in this latest Nats win? So the Nats on Monday night went one for 12 with runners in scoring position. Not so good. Uh, This was a frustrating game for the most part in terms of the Nats blowing chances to score runs. Uh, Take, for instance, Nelson Cruz. He on Monday night as the Nats starting DH and number four batter, 0 for 4 with a strikeout and left seven men on base. It is not often that a batter leaves seven men on base in a game, and yet 
That is precisely what happened with Nelson Cruz on Monday night. Bottom of the third, bases loaded, two outs, Nats trailing one nothing. Cruz grounded into a first pitch force out. Bottom of the seventh, runners on first and second, two outs, Nats trailing 2-1. Cruz struck out, swinging on four pitches. But Nelson Cruz was not the only culprit for the Nats on Monday night. Kbert Ruiz on Monday night as the Nats starting catcher and number six batter went 0 for 4, left three men on base. This was looking like one of these games in which the Nats were going to end up not doing much offensively. And then Michael Franco happened. Now, Michael Franco, over his three previous games, had gone 0 for 11 with a walk. He did not appear to be in a very good place, but Franco on Monday night came through in the bottom of the eighth. A two-out first pitch, two-run homer to left field for a 3-2 Nats lead. And Nats went from being down 2-1 to being up 3-2. The homer went and projected 418 feet per stat cast. The homer was the Nats' lone hit with a runner in scoring position in the game. Uh, One for 12 is bad, but the one was a big one. Uh, Franco was the Nats' starting third baseman and number eight batter on Monday night. He went two for four with the two-run homer and a single. He, in the bottom of the third, had a leadoff opposite field single on a flare to shallow right field. Michael Franco has had some big hits this season. His overall numbers aren't great, but he, for this 2022 regular season, is number three on the Nats, in runs batted in. Now, uh, as you likely know, RBI, not my favorite stat. Uh, I think that you have to be really careful when you are uh, showering a player with praise or criticism for his RBI total. But in this case, I do think that the RBI total is reflective of what Michael Franco has been for the Nats this season. Not a great player, but, you know, a decent player. I mean, that Michael Franco is number three on the Nats in RBI with 34, I think says something about what Michael Franco has been for the Nats so far this year. Remember, the Nats signed Franco to a minor league contract this past December. He was not supposed to be the Nats every game third baseman this season. Carter Keeboom was, but Keeboom has missed the entirety of this season due to injury. Franco has been thrust into this role of being the Nats every game third baseman. You know, he was really bad for the Orioles last season, so that the Nats are getting anything in the way of even decent production from Franco this season is a plus, and he had another big hit with that two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth on Monday night. Also coming through for the Nats on Monday night, Luis Garcia. Uh, boy, has Luis Garcia been a pleasure to watch as a batter since being recalled from AAA Rochester on June 1st. Garcia on Monday night as the Nats starting shortstop and number five batter, three for four with three leadoff hits, two doubles and a single. Uh, Garcia in the bottom of the fourth had a leadoff opposite field single to left field. Garcia in the Nats one run six had a leadoff double of the right center field scoreboard. And Garcia in that Nats two run eighth, a leadoff opposite field double to left field. Uh, Your updated numbers for Luis Garcia at the major league level in this 2022 regular season. 101 plate appearances, batting average of 337, on base percentage of 347, slugging percentage of 500. I mean, how about that? Luis Garcia's slash line is 337, 347, 500. Those are terrific offensive numbers, and the sample size now is growing. Uh, Luis Garcia recalled from AAA Rochester, like I said, on June 1st. So we're more or less at a month now of Garcia at the major league level 
in this 2022 regular season, and he is producing offensively, and it is starting to feel like his defense, which was questionable, is stabilizing. I mean, I'm not trying to say that he's, you know, Ozzie Smith all of a sudden, but for a while, it felt like every game featured at least one defensive miscue for Luis Garcia at shortstop. It feels like we've gotten away from that over the last week or so. Got to see more clearly, but the offense is playing, man. It feels like every game, Luis Garcia is doing something of note offensively, and Garcia on Monday night, a three-hit night. Uh, Juan Soto on Monday night, got on base three more times. Uh, this is a game after he got on base five times. Uh, Soto in the Nats 6-4 win at the Texas Rangers on Sunday afternoon, got on base five times. He went one for one with a single and four walks. Uh, Soto on Monday night as the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter, two for three with two singles and a walk. Uh, Soto in the bottom of the first, a first pitch single through the right side of the infield, and Soto absolutely scorched that baseball. The hit had an exit velocity of 110 miles per hour per stat cast. Uh, Soto in the bottom of the third drew a two-out four-pitch walk, and Soto in the bottom of the seventh had a two-out infield single to the right side of the infield. You know, the Nats on Monday night only scored three runs, but the Nats finished with 10 hits and four walks. Uh, again, one for 12 with runners in scoring position. But this game, instead of being, say, a 3-2 win over the Pirates at Nationals Park, could have been like a 6-2 win over the Pirates or something like that. I mean, the Nats had plenty of base runners. And the Nats actually had a good number of extra base hits in the game. Five of the Nats' 10 hits were extra base hits. The Nats had a home run and four doubles. Uh, Lane Thomas was the Nats' starting center fielder, a number nine batter. He went one for four with a double. He, in the bottom of the eighth, had a two-out opposite field double to right center field on a one-two pitch. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez was the Nats' starting left fielder, a number seven batter. He went one for four with a double and an RBI ground out. Uh, his double coming in the bottom of the fourth, a one-out opposite field ground rule double off the left field warning track. Nats have been racking up the doubles here lately. You still want to see more home runs, although we did get a big homer on Monday night, but the Nats have been getting uh, a good number of doubles here lately. Uh, it has been nice to see that. Uh, Nats have needed that. Uh, Eric Fetty, he was the Nats starting pitcher in their 3-2 win over the Pirates at Nationals Park on Monday night. So the Nats came into this game on Monday night having gotten good to great outings from starting pitchers in six of the team's last seven games. Uh, Fetty on Monday night certainly was not great, but he was good enough. Two runs in five innings. Uh, he gave up three hits, a homer, a double, and a single. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. His biggest problem was that he, again, was not pitch efficient. And this is, of course, a familiar problem for Eric Fetty. Uh, Fetty, over his five innings on Monday night, threw 100 pitches, 55 strikes, versus 45 balls. The run prevention wasn't bad. Two runs in five innings, but you really would like to see him last for longer than five innings. Uh, Eric Fetty is essentially what you call a five-and-dive guy now. You know, you really can't count on him for more than five innings. And that doesn't mean that he's always uh, really bad over his five innings of work or, you know, thereabouts. He actually has been decent for a good chunk of this season. But he just is not a guy who you go into a game looking at and saying, okay, that's our horse. You know, that guy's going to eat up six, seven, eight innings for us tonight. I mean, understand this. So this outing on Monday night for Fetty was his 15th start in the 2022 regular season. He has lasted for no more than six innings in 14 of these 15 starts. Think about that. No more than six innings in 14 of the 15 starts. He has lasted for fewer than six innings in 12 of the 15 starts. But two runs in five innings is not bad. That certainly does put you in a position to win the game. And the Nats did end up winning the game. Uh, Fetty on Monday night in the top of the second 
gave up a run. He issued a leadoff five-pitch walk of Daniel Vogelback. Fetty gave up a one-out full count ground rule double to Jack Sawinski off the right field warning track. And then Fetty gave up a one-out RBI sack fly to Josh Van Meter for a 1-0 Pirates lead. And then Fetty in the top of the fifth allowed a run. He gave up a two-out solo homer to O'Neill Cruz to center field for a 2-0 Pirates lead. Uh, the homer going a projected 408 feet per stat cast. O'Neill Cruz is one of the uh, premier prospects in baseball right now. Cruz, uh, as of this game on Monday night, was the number 21 prospect in baseball for MLB Pipeline. So, you know, not greatness from Eric Fetty on Monday night, but two runs in five innings does put you in a position to win the game. And given the state of the Nats, especially the state of the Nats pitching, I think you take two runs in five innings. Uh, Fetty now in the 2022 regular season has an ERA of 440. So Eric Fetty on Monday night only lasted for five innings, but the Nats bullpen on Monday night was great. Three Nats relievers combined for four scoreless innings. Uh, Andres Machado tossed a scoreless top of the sixth. Carl Edwards Jr. tossed two scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Yeah, one scoreless inning, no longer enough for Carl Edwards Jr. He now has to give the Nats two scoreless innings in a game. Uh, Edwards on Monday night tossed a scoreless top of the seventh, then tossed a scoreless top of the eighth. Carl Edwards Jr. now has a major league ERA for the Nats in the 2022 regular season of 233. Remember, the Nats this past February signed Edwards to a minor league contract. The Nats on May 10th selected Edwards' contract from AAA Rochester, and he, over the last six weeks, has emerged as the Nats, I think right now, number one reliever in terms of effectiveness, in terms of who you trust. There is no Nats reliever who you should trust more right now than Carl Edwards Jr., and Carl Edwards Jr. has emerged as a viable trade chip here for the Nats. As we do get closer to that August 2nd trade deadline, your top three Nats trade chips, at least right now, are Josh Bell, Nelson Cruz, and Carl Edwards Jr. I mean, who'd have thunk it? And you know, the deadline is August 2nd, but that doesn't mean that you have to wait until August 2nd to start making trades. The Seattle Mariners on Monday acquired first baseman and DH Carlos Santana from the Kansas City Royals. The trading season has begun in MLB this season. So who knows when Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo might pull the trigger on this year's fire sale. And then Kyle Finnegan and not Tanner Rainey was used to close out the game. Now, remember, the Nats took their 3-2 lead in the bottom of the eighth on the two-run homer by Michael Franco. Finnegan ended up pitching the ninth. He tossed a scoreless top of the ninth for the save. Uh, This was only Finnegan's second save opportunity in this 2022 regular season. Now, he did give up a double in the ninth. Uh, Gave up a one-out double to Josh Van Meter, although this was kind of a weird double. Uh, The double came on a ball that was hit near the right field line and far away from Juan Soto in right field. Juan Soto plays a very deep right field. He appeared to think that this ball was going to land foul. The ball did not land foul. And so Soto playing deep, in conjunction with him pretty clearly thinking that the ball was going to land foul, resulted in him uh, not getting to the baseball in nearly enough time. Now, I don't know if he would have gotten to the baseball in enough time anyway. Um, He initially, I don't think, was running as hard as he could. Then he started to pick up steam as he realized, oh boy, 
this ball might end up landing in fair territory. So anyway, kind of a weird double there for Van Meter off Finnegan, but Finnegan ended up tossing the scoreless top of the ninth. Now, the big thing that stands out if you're a Nats fan, of course, is, well, geez, isn't that interesting? Kyle Finnegan and not Tanner Rainey closed out the game. Well, Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Monday night said that part of this was due to Rainey having pitched on Sunday afternoon, uh, but also was due to Finnegan having warmed up during the game on Monday night. Like I said, the Nats didn't get their lead until that bottom of the eighth on the Michael Franco two-run homer. And Davey's thinking was, well, I've already warmed up Finnegan. I don't want to burn Finnegan for Tuesday night's game two against the Pirates at Nationals Park due to him having thrown warm-up pitches on Monday night. So if I already have the guy warm, why don't I go ahead and use the guy to close out this game here on Monday night? I do get that, okay? I think like there definitely is a logic there to what Davey was saying during his post-game presser on Monday night. Now, I do think that we are seeing signs that Davey is trusting Kyle Finnegan more than Tanner Rainey right now. So you wonder if this was one of these circumstances in which uh, the circumstances were convenient and they sort of aligned with what Davey might have been thinking anyway. But like I said, there is a logic certainly to what Davey was saying on Monday night in terms of why Finnegan and not Rainey closed out the game. Good bounce back performance uh, for Finnegan. Keep in mind what happened with him in his previous outing, the uh, 3-2 loss at the Rangers on Saturday. Finnegan in the bottom of the ninth faced one batter, and the result was a leadoff walk-off homer by Adolis Garcia. By the way, the Nats on Monday made some roster moves with the bullpen. The Nats recalled Sam Clay from AAA Rochester and optioned Francisco Perez to Rochester. As you may recall, Perez in that win at the Rangers on Sunday afternoon was a complete disaster in a three-run Rangers ninth. Uh, This was Perez's first appearance at a game since June 17th, and the rust, shall we say, showed. Uh, He allowed three runs and did not record a single out as a 6-1 Nats lead became a 6-4 Nats lead. And so Davey Martinez ended up bringing in Tanner Rainey to close out the game. And Rainey in that bottom of the ninth faced four batters and got three outs. But Rainey should have never had to have pitched in that game. And you see with something like what happened with the Nats bullpen on Sunday, how what happens on one day can have a domino effect into the next day, right? Because Rainey pitched on Sunday, he ended up not pitching on Monday. And, you know, maybe Davey Martinez preferred that anyway and wanted to see Kyle Finnegan close out the game on Monday night. But that's not the point. Uh, Tanner Rainey should never have had to pitch on Sunday afternoon, and yet he did end up pitching. But he ended up closing out that game, and Finnegan ended up closing out another Nats win on Monday night. Also for the Nats on Monday, uh, Davey Martinez was selected to be a part of the upcoming 2022 MLB All-Star Game. Uh, Major League Baseball on Monday afternoon announced honorary coaches and staffs for the 2022 All-Star Game, uh, which will take place at Dodger Stadium on July 19th, the press release put out by MLB included the following, quote, National League Manager Brian Snitker of the defending world champion Atlanta Braves has asked Washington Nationals Manager Dave Martinez and Dave Roberts of the host Los Angeles Dodgers to join him in the NL dugout, end quote. I love that. Snitker asked Davey, hey, Davey, would you mind being on my staff for the All-Star game? Sure, Brian. Why the heck not? Uh, but a very nice gesture on the part of Brian Snitker. Presumably, he chose Davey because Davey never had the chance to be the NL's manager 
uh, in the 2020 All-Star Game. Uh, that should have been the case, right? Because the Nats won the World Series for the 2019 season, but there was no 2020 All-Star Game due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Davey Martinez has participated in All-Star Games before. Uh, he served as an All-Star coach in 2018 when the All-Star Game was held at Nationals Park. Uh, Davey also served as an All-Star coach in 2017 when he was a coach for the Chicago Cubs, and Davey served as an All-Star coach in 2009 when Davey was a coach for the Tampa Bay Rays. So it's not like Brian Snitker in choosing Davey Martinez to be a part of the NL coaching staff for this year's All-Star Game is giving Davey the chance to do something that he has never done before, but this is a nice gesture on the part of Snicker. The Nats got robbed in so many ways off winning the World Series the year before the pandemic. And so if at least one wrong can be righted to at least some extent, good. I mean, you know, Davey Martinez being a coach for the 2022 All-Star Game does not make up for the many other things that the Nats were robbed of because the season following their World Series championship was that pandemic season. But this is something. And I, I think this is certainly a well-intentioned something from Brian Snicker. So a good job by him. It'll be cool to see Davey partaking in the All-Star game. I mean, you think about things objectively, right? The Nats probably are only going to have one player on the National League All-Star team. I, I mean, you know, I guess maybe two, you know, maybe Josh Bell and Juan Soto. But I mean, those are your only two realistic possibilities in terms of Nats being in the All-Star game. Um, you know, you might say, well, Carl Edwards Jr. deserves it. Yeah, but he's not going to get picked for the All-Star game, being realistic about things. So, you know, Bell and Soto, and, you know, given the season that the Nats are having, you would think they are a prime candidate to be one of those teams that ends up having just one player uh, in the All-Star game. So you'll at least have uh, two Nationals representing the franchise at the All-Star game and Davey Martinez and whichever player gets selected. And who knows, maybe the Nets do get both Bell and Soto on that NL All-Star team. Game two against the Pirates at Nationals Park is on Tuesday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, if you are an Orioles fan and you stayed up late on Monday night to watch their game one of a three-game series at the Seattle Mariners, you were not disappointed. A 9-2 win for the O's at the Mariners. Another win for the O's. The O's again, Joe Angel, were in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column, which is becoming a very familiar place for the O's. The O's in this 2022 regular season now are 35 and 40. Uh, yes, they are last in the American League East, but the O's also now are 21 and 16 since a 14 and 24 start. And it's not just that. This win for the O's at the Mariners late night on Monday night improved the O's to 14 and 10 in this month of June. That clinches this month of June as a winning month for the O's. This is the Orioles' first winning month since August 2017. Yeah, first winning month for the O's since August 2017. The Orioles completely fell off the cliff starting in September 2017. Not since before then had the O's had a winning month until now. 
August 2017 was the Orioles' last winning month until this month of June 2022. If that doesn't highlight the rise of the O's right now, I'm not sure what does. Tremendous offensive display by the O's late night on Monday night. Nine runs, 12 hits, eight of which were extra base hits, five homers, and three doubles. Yeah, the O's hit five home runs late night on Monday night. Uh, The O's only drew one walk, but uh, that's okay when you hit five home runs. A number of Orioles players got in on the offensive act on Monday night. I want to highlight three guys, Adley Rutschman, Cedric Mullins, and Austin Hayes. Uh, Adley Rutschman is on fire right now. So the O's on May 21st selected the contract of Rutschman from AAA Norfolk. And that was, of course, a huge moment in the Orioles' rebuild of Rutschman having been the number one pick in the 2019 MLB draft. Heck, Rutschman, as we speak, remains the number one prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. Uh, He was really bad, though, over his first few weeks in the majors, but he now is rolling. And Rutschman on Monday night had another good game. He is the Orioles' starting catcher and number five batter, went two for five with a solo homer and an RBI single. Uh, Rutschman in an Orioles one-run first had a two-out RBI single for a one-nothing Orioles lead. Rutschman in an Orioles two-run third had a two-out full-count solo homer for a three-nothing Orioles lead. Adley Rutschman now in this month of June is slugging 528. That is outstanding. This is so exciting to see Adley Rutschman blossoming before our eyes. Uh, Cedric Mullins, he has not had a good season off him having blossomed in the 2021 season. Uh, But Mullins, like Rutschman, is having a good month of June. And Mullins on Monday night as the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter, two for four with an RBI double, another double, and a walk. And he made a standout defensive play. Uh, Mullins, in an Orioles one-run second, had a two-out RBI double for a 2-0 Orioles lead. Mullins, in an Orioles three-run fourth, drew a one-out seven-pitch walk. Mullins, in the bottom of the eighth, made a great diving forward catch to rob Jesse Winker of a hit for the third out. And Mullins, in the Orioles one-run ninth, had a leadoff double. Very good job by Cedric Mullins on Monday night. And Austin Hayes on Monday night was once again very good this season. Hayes was the Orioles starting right fielder and number four batter. Two for four with a solo homer, a single, and a hit by pitch. Hayes in the Orioles one run first through a two out hit by pitch. Hayes in the Orioles three run fourth had a two out first pitch solo homer. Hayes in the top of the ninth had a two-out single. Uh, Austin Hayes has been the Orioles' best player so far this season. He, for the 2022 regular season, has an OPS of 834. But really up and down the Orioles' lineup, you had production on Monday night. But these three guys stood out in particular, Adley Rutschman, Cedric Mullins, and Austin Hayes. Uh, Tyler Wells stood out on Monday night as well. He has emerged here as the Orioles' best starting pitcher this season, and he was good again on Monday night. Uh, Wells in this 9-2 win at the Mariners late night on Monday night. One run in five innings. Uh, He gave up just one hit, which was a solo homer. He had three strikeouts versus no walks. He threw 63 pitches, 41 strikes, versus just 22 balls. Uh, Tyler Wells is making the transition from reliever to starter, so the O's are being careful with Wells, but Wells is making a successful transition. He now has made 15 starts in this 2022 regular season, good for an ERA of 323 and a whip of 103. He is doing a really nice job. Uh, Wells, in his previous outing, 
five scoreless innings. That came in the 7-0 rain-shortened six-inning win over the Nationals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Wednesday night. So good offense on Monday night, good starting pitching on Monday night, good relief pitching on Monday night. Uh, Keegan Aiken, a starter-turned-reliever, was good once again this season on Monday night. Aiken tossed three and a third scoreless innings with three strikeouts, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 235. There is a lot to like right now about the O's. You can't get too crazy, okay? Like I said, still last in the AL East, and the record is still under 500. But I tell you what, the record may not be under 500 for much longer. The O's are playing some really good baseball here. Good hitting, good pitching, good defense. Like I said, a lot to like right now with the O's. Game two for the O's at the Mariners is on Tuesday night at 10-10. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 346, will feature more on the Commanders. We'll see where Dan Snyder's super yacht is at that point. Uh, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles as well. Game two for the Nats against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park is on Tuesday night at 7.05. Game two for the O's at the Seattle Mariners is on Tuesday night at 1010. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.